Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. I'll start off this morning. I want to put something up on the screen. I'd like you to take a look at this. Anybody see anything there? If you grew up in the 90s or maybe you had kids grow up in the 90s, you remember these um, posters or these books called Magic Eye? Do you remember that? Okay. In that picture, there's a dinosaur, three-dimensional dinosaur. Anybody see it? No? No? How about, we'll try another one. Let's try this picture here. Um, if you do this right, those fish actually pop out in three dimensions, and they're kind of floating out there right in front of you. Anybody See that? Somebody, a couple people do. We had two people in the first service. Few do, okay, good, good. What you do is, the, the trick to this whole thing is called, um, it's called parallel viewing. And the idea is that you need to look beyond what's in front of you. Now, I can't do this on the big screen. I was able to do it, you know, with the book, you know, right in front of my face. But the idea is to look beyond the picture that's right in front of you. And if you do that, you're able to actually see something that's not normally in the picture otherwise. And, and by this parallel viewing, now here's something else, here's something everybody can do, okay? We can all do this. Here's an example of what parallel, how parallel viewing works. If you kind of take your fingers like this, make, okay, point with both your fingers, and put them about an inch, maybe inch and a half apart, all right, just pointing at each other, and then look beyond them. If you do it right, you will see a third finger floating in the middle between the other two. Does it work? All right, give yourselves a hand. Very good. See? The deal is it's called parallel viewing, and it really depends on your focus. Some of you are still going, How do you, yeah. I mean, you could be here for another half hour, and you'd miss everything, so put the fingers down. Okay, we're going to start. <laughs> Try it at home on your own if you still can't get it. This whole series we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks has been about breaking barriers and, and living beyond, living beyond the norm, and it's about getting outside of your comfort zone and, and, and just getting overcoming your fears and, and living, living with a greater sense of purpose. And the reason for it is so that we would be able to help other people break through their barriers and discover the life that God has for them. That's what this whole thing has been all about. Because the truth of the matter is, God has a bigger vision for your life than you do. Whatever grand schemes, whatever great plans, whatever huge goals you might have, God has a bigger plan and a bigger vision for your life than you do. Because God has invited you and invited me to take part in his work in this world. And there's nothing bigger than that. Paul wrote about it to the Corinthian church in his second letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to use one of the ones that we have for you on the seats around you. It's on page 1144 if you want to follow along. Paul writes these words beginning in verse 14. He says, Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is God's vision for your life. It's a far bigger picture maybe than you have. He says you are in essence an ambassador of his kingdom, Christ's ambassador, his envoy, his emissary, his diplomat of his kingdom in this world. That God has called you and me to become representatives, agents of his work here in our lives on this earth. You are not just a businessman. You are not just a homemaker or a housewife. You are not just a student or a carpenter or a teacher. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. There is no higher calling in this world than that. And what Paul is urging these people is understand, don't live such small lives. Don't live lives with such a small vision. Whatever great goals, whatever great vision you might think you have for your life, it's too small. (laughs) Because your life is not just about the here and now. Your life is about the kingdom of God and eternity. And that's his bigger vision for your life. Live with a bigger vision. Get beyond the barrier of small. And that's going to take for you a fundamental change in your focus. It's going to start requiring you to look beyond here and now and begin to see with God's eyes. And it starts with getting beyond yourself. Stop looking at just your own interests. Look beyond yourself and begin to see others with eyes of love. We talk about that a lot around here because I believe that is our highest ambition as Christ followers is to live lives of love. And Paul says, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him. He says, live this life of love. Get beyond yourself. It is the driving force in my life, Paul says, and it ought to be the driving force in your life. It's compelling. It's not just platitudes. It is powerful. It is dynamic. It is even sacrificial that you no longer live for yourself. That's what he's telling us. Love changes the way that you live. Almost 32 years ago now, I stood in front of my friends and my family and in front of a pastor who asked me a question, to which I responded, I do. And those two words changed every other decision I've made in my life since. (laughs) Everything. When I said those two words, that meant I couldn't date any other women. It meant I couldn't buy just what I wanted to buy. (laughs) It meant I was going to live a different life now. Because every decision I make doesn't just affect me. Now it affects somebody else. Did it mean sacrifice? Sure it did. Did I gain and benefit from it? Absolutely. Am I a better person now because of those two words? Well, you'd have to ask my wife. She's the only one who could really tell you the answer to that one. But the point is this. Love forces you to look beyond yourself. That's what love does. It changes your focus. And it begins with simply noticing other people. 
being considerate of others, listening to others, caring about other people's lives. That's what love does. Look at this verse, Philippians 2. Actually, it's a shortened version of a very, very long passage, but just the, the gist of it is this. If you have any co- encouragement from being united with Christ, Paul writes, if any comfort from his love, then having the same love in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. He says if you have had any kind of a, of a relationship with God, if Christ has touched your life in any way, just in the slightest way, then let it change your life. Stop living for just yourself. Start looking out for the needs of other people. If we are ever going to help anybody else discover the love that God has for them, we have got to be better distributors of that love. Because the only love they will know of God is what they receive from us. Christ gave up his comfort. Pastor Scott talked about that a couple weeks ago. He gave up his comfort. He gave up his rights. He gave up his self-interest. He gave up self-preservation. Why? Because of love. And that's got to become the driving force in our life. It needs to be the one thing that moves everything else that we do. The Bible tells us all about love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a whole chapter just talking about it. And love is just simply this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Doesn't boast. Isn't rude. It's not easily angered. And Paul writes, without love... If I don't have love, I am nothing at all. He says, if I don't get that, I don't get any of it. Now, about five years ago, um, I encouraged us as a church to to do an experiment. And it kind of came out of my own experiences because what I found was that my life had become very, very self-centered and very, very self-interested. And that meant that that anything else that had to do with anybody else became a competition. I found myself like when I would go to the coffee shop, you know, and I would get out of my car at the same time as somebody else, that in my mind I was doing a little foot race, you know? Not, like, not, not, not obvious, not like I was running to be the first to the door, but just really subtly, just kind of picking up the pace a little bit, seeing, can I get there before they do? And I found that a lot of my life was being geared that way, that everything was becoming a competition. So I decided, okay, here's one thing I was going to do. I decided for a week, for, actually I decided for a month, I was going to try, learn two words. And I challenged our whole church. I said, okay, what I'd like you to do for the next week, for the next month, if you can do it, is just practice these two words. Anybody remember them? After you. You remember. And I asked everybody, just for a week, just try, try this for a whole week. Just stop thinking about yourself and learn to say, after you. So that when you are going to the coffee shop and somebody's getting there and you're maybe a little bit ahead of them, instead of jumping in front of them, holding the door open and say, after you. Or when somebody cuts you off on the freeway, say, after you. You jerk. No, don't. I, I actually, I did this last night. We had gone um, to my sister and brother-in-law's 30th wedding anniversary party. And it was, it was late, you know, it was pouring rain last night. And we're driving home. And I'm in the fast lane. I'm driving like 75 miles an hour, which is way fast enough in the fast lane on a rainy night, you know. And I see this guy come barreling up on my tail. And he's just, he's coming on like gangbusters. And he starts flashing his high beams on me before he even gets to me. So I say, okay, fine. So I put on my blinker like I'm going to change lanes. 
I put on my blinker to let him know I'm getting out of your way. But before I could do that, he changed lanes and zipped right around me. And I said to myself, after you. (laughs) You moron. Actually, I didn't even say it to myself. I said it out loud. But it's just learning to notice other people. It's beginning to look with eyes of love. And if we're going to live with bigger vision, it's got to be through eyes of love. Get beyond my own self-interest and begin to see people with eyes of love. And beyond that, then looking beyond human appraisals and human rating systems and begin to see people with eyes of eternity. And that is a fundamental shift in focus. Paul said, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. In fact, he goes on, he says, we used to regard Christ that way. Not anymore. Begin to see through eyes of eternity. You see, in Jesus' life and ministry, as you watch and read through the stories of the Gospels, one thing that just absolutely stands out is that Jesus was keenly aware of people. More than anything else, people were a priority for him. And and you just over and over again, you read this. In Luke chapter 8, there's an account of of Jesus walking through town. And there are just like hundreds of people just pressed in on him. You know, like paparazzi. You know, they just want to get close. They just want to get a picture, you know, whatever. And they're just just pressing in on him. And there is one woman who has an illness. And she is thinking to herself, if I could just get close enough. If I could just have him touch me. In fact, if I could just reach out and touch him. In fact, if I could just touch like the hem of his robe, maybe I would be healed. And Jesus is walking, there's crowds of people, and somehow she gets her through, and at the bottom of the pile, she reaches through, and she touches his robe, and Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And the disciples go, like 150 people, you know, Lord, there's, there's people pressing in on you all over the place. What are you talking about who touched you? He says, no, somebody touched me. He was keenly aware of individuals, even in masses of crowds. There was another account. We talked about it last week. A man named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. And not very well liked. Just because of his job. Which is, you know, kind of comes with the territory. But but we also know that he was small in stature. He was kind of a short guy. And and he heard that Jesus was coming. And he wanted to see Jesus. And and you knew he was not well liked. Because nobody else in the crowd would let him. You know, they kind of said, no, not, 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 not around me, you're not, you know. You can just kind of picture the scene. They're closing in, closing ranks. So he, you know, he's jumping up and down. Finally, he climbs up in a tree just so he can see Jesus. And Jesus walking in. Again, hundreds of people pressed all around him. And he goes, hey, you up in the tree. Come on down. I want to have lunch with you. He notices this guy that everybody else wants to shut out. There's another account of a man named Bartimaeus. He was blind. And he's sitting begging alongside the road. And he hears that Jesus is coming by. And all these crowds, again, following Jesus. And he yells out, Jesus, son of David, please have mercy on me. And everybody around him says, shut up. He doesn't have time for you. He's got places to go, people to see, things to do. He's important. He doesn't have time for you. And it says, Bartimaeus cried out all the louder, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and took care of him. When parents wanted to bring their kids to Jesus, just that he would say a prayer of blessing over them. And all of his disciples would push him away and say, he doesn't have time for kids. Come on, he's busy. You know, don't bother him with these kids. And Jesus said, wait, wait. Let the children come to me. That was Jesus. 
He was keenly aware and tuned in, not with crowds of faces, but with people, individuals. And not just important individuals or influential or those who could advance his career. He took an interest in those that nobody else paid attention to. Because he saw them with eyes of eternity. See, the thing is, we get really, really good at rating people. We all do it. Subconsciously, maybe. Not intentionally, maybe. But in our mind, every time we see somebody, we we give a rating to them. Are they worthy of my time and attention? Should I bother with them at all? We do that. We We don't even recognize it. But we all have standards and measurements that we hold people to. And we make decisions just like that about people without even getting to know them. Jesus didn't do that. Truth is, our own standards and our measurements are not very reliable. I told you last week about this book I've been reading. It's a fascinating book. Um, the author is um, Benjamin Zander. He and his wife have written it together. Benjamin Zander is, is the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra, and he also teaches at the conservatory there. And, and one of the things that he found was um, that, that, that music students would become so consumed with being technically correct and playing the right notes at the right time, and he was constantly trying to find ways to get them to think beyond that, to, to get them to, to, to live the music, to play the music through their own soul, you know, and not just be technically correct, but to live the music. And, and, and one of the things he wrote about was um, that math and science work really good for giving grades because there's right answers, you know, and all that. He said, for music, it was difficult to teach people to play music through their souls because they're so consumed with getting it right and getting a good grade. And he, he was struggled with this, trying to get people to get beyond that. And finally, he decided what he was going to do was everybody in his class was going to get an A. He actually talked the university into this. I don't know how he did it, but... And so the first day of class, he tells every one of his students, you are all A students. Everyone in this class gets an A. But here's the one requirement. You have to, in the next two weeks, the first two weeks of the semester, you need to write me a letter. And you need to write me a letter telling me why you got your A. And not just, you know, the notes that you played and all that. So I want you to write me a letter in the first two weeks of the semester that will be written, that will be read afterwards at the end of the semester, but you're going to write it as if you're at the end of the semester. And what, you want, what I want you to write is how this class has changed you musically, how this class has changed your life, how being a part of this class has made you a better player, a better person, a better instrumentalist. I want you to let me know what this class has done for you, why you got the A. He says, I wonder if instead of rating people and comparing people, judging people all the time, if we just went around giving everybody an A, what a difference that might make. If we would just see people with eternal value the way Jesus did. And instead of making a judgment and making an assessment and rating people, just giving everybody an A. See, every person you meet is of eternal worth and value to God. And that's what Jesus saw. So Paul writes, we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. We can't do that anymore. That's small-minded living. Big picture living, big vision living. Sees people from eternal perspective. 
sees the eternal worth and value in every individual because God has placed it there. Ecclesiastes 3 says, He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work. He says, God has done that. They may not recognize it. They may not see it. You may not see it. But the truth is, he says, make no mistake, God has planted that seed there. It's in every individual that you meet. And the reason Jesus so focused on people was their eternal destiny mattered to him. He cared about their eternal destiny. And make no mistake, someday, the Bible tells us, someday, all of this world's existence is going to come to an end. Your home, your corner office, your car. Maybe your car's already come to an end. I don't know. <laughs> but it all, it all is. It's all going to come to an end. This building, these chairs, this carpet, the screen, those pictures, it's all going to come to an end. The only thing that's going to last is people. Jesus saw that in every individual that he met. And I have to remind myself on a regular basis, everybody I come in contact with matters to God. Every one of them. Closely related to that is begin to look beyond people's faults to see what God can accomplish in their life. Paul goes on. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. If you spend any time around people, you're going to be disappointed. Just, you know, take that as a given. Because there will be people around you who will hurt you, who will anger you, who will disappoint you. Just, just count on it, okay? It's going to happen. And sometimes it will be people that you maybe don't even care about so it doesn't matter to you so much. Sometimes it will be people that you deeply love and it's going to hurt you. Sometimes it will be people in your own church Sometimes, well, not in this church, but in other churches, it'll be your pastor. <laughs> Count on it. It's going to happen. And all too often, the hurt or the disappointment that you get from other people is going to be out of their own insecurities. Because they're frail, faulty people, just like you. And what we do with our insecurities is we, we excuse them, we hide them. Sometimes we act out on them. But it's simply because we've all got those faults. And the only real answer for our faults is grace. It really is. And we cannot afford to keep people imprisoned in their past. See, small-minded living, small-minded living nurses hurts. Small-minded living carries grudges. Small-minded living locks people in their past. And I have been enough years of a pastor and enough years doing counseling with people and counsel with families where a hurt has happened somewhere along the line, and that hurt has been held against the person who did the hurting for the rest of the life. And everything that happens now that that person does is always viewed through that, those lenses. And any act of kindness is always going to have an ulterior motive because that's the only way this person can see their, their brother or their sister. And it is so sad. They will never let them change because of the fault, because of a mistake, because of a hurt. We cannot afford 
to let our hurts get in the way of God's grace in somebody else's life. We cannot. We cannot. That small-minded living. And we will never make an eternal difference in somebody's life if we're confining them to their past. The only answer is grace. And the good news of grace is everybody gets a fresh start. Verse 17, anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is forgotten and everything is new. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So how can we? How can we? See, our calling, our calling is to move people in the direction of grace. That's what it means to be an ambassador of Christ is to move people in the direction of grace. To help understand who they are and where they're at and help them take the next step towards God. And people are at all different places in their journey of faith. Jesus recognized that. When he would talk with people, on one occasion he talked with someone who, who just was so close and so hungry and Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far. You're almost there. You're close Keep moving that direction. And to those who stood in opposition and wouldn't listen to a word he was saying, he said, these people are honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He was able to see the heart of people. And part of our job as ambassadors of Christ is to recognize the eternal destiny of people and recognize where they are and where they could take a next step and just keep pointing them in the direction of grace. Looking beyond their faults seeing what God can accomplish in your lives. And then lastly, to move beyond mere words and make a determination to serve other people. Moving beyond the words. If our message is going to have any meaning, it's got to be backed up with our actions and our behavior. If it's going to have any impact at all, it's got to be more than just what we say. Or like my gray-haired old mom used to say to me when I was a kid, actions speak louder than words. And it's true. See, God has entrusted his work into your hands and to mine. God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, ministry is just a fancy word for serving. It's just finding practical ways that you can help someone else. Some of you are very involved on the fourth and the first um, Sundays of every month where we serve with bread of life. Tonight is bread of life. We partner with First Baptist Church. Some of you have taken that to heart. Some of you have expanded beyond that and been going like during the week and helping in that ministry. And that's a great thing. But it doesn't even have to be that big. It could be something as simple as mowing a lawn for your neighbor or running an errand for them or giving them a ride somewhere. It's just anything that you can do that practically helps someone else. A couple of months ago, um, got a phone call one thing you need to know about me, I've got, Monday is my day off. And I like, I guard that religiously. I have learned, I have got to. I don't answer the phone on Mondays, okay? I don't, you got an emergency, it's gonna wait till Tuesday. I'm sorry, you know? Because um, I, I just, I, I, when I start violating that, I get myself all worn out. And so I've just said, so you need to know, I, I guard Mondays, like, religiously. I don't answer the phone. Um, and, and on one Monday, got a phone call. Uh, well, actually, I didn't. My wife got the phone call because I wouldn't answer the phone, okay? Um, and she knows the secret ring. There's a secret ring. 
I'm not going to tell you what it is, but there's a secret code in Ring on Mondays. That's the only way I do answer the phone, and only my wife knows it. So, um, you know. But I got this call from my wife. Friends of ours had a family emergency, and they needed someone to watch their first grade kid. Okay, the second thing you need to know about me, babysitting is not my passion. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you couldn't ask me to do anything worse on my day off than babysit a first grader, but, you know, uh, you know. but Betty called, and she said, so-and-so called. They got this emergency. They need someone to watch their first grader. And I can't get away from the office. I'm working today, you know. Can you do it? I said, sure. Because I love those people. They're friends of mine. They're not Christ followers yet. But I love them. They matter to me. And I don't say this because... You know, I made this big sacrifice. But if you knew what giving up my Monday day off to babysit a first grader was all about, that's a huge sacrifice. But I didn't even give it a second thought. Because I love those people. And I want them to know the love of God. And if I can't show them the love of God, the simple thing like that, then what am I telling them really? See, that's the deal. If you are open to it, there are opportunities all around you to help other people, to serve other people, to show the love of God to people. They're all around you. And I want to ask you this morning, are you the kind of person that people would think of to call when they need help? Are you that kind of person? Are you the first person they think of to call, or are you maybe the last person they think of? And here's how you can tell. Does anybody ever call you and ask for help? Because <laughs> if they don't, chances are they don't think that you're the kind of person that would do that. Our message is life-changing. It is powerful. It's about the love of God for fallen human race. That God would send his very son, that Christ would leave his comfort and his power and his glory and to sacrifice it all because he loves. And that's the message he has entrusted to our hands. God has trusted us with this message that people may be brought back to him. So we are Christ's official messengers. It is as if God were making his appeal through us. You and I are his representatives in this world. And if you will pray for and look for and intentionally take opportunities to serve other people, God will speak his message through you. That's why Paul wrote, whatever you do or say, do it as representatives of the Lord Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? just as a little bit of reflection on what we talked about this morning. Let me ask you, where is the focus of your life? Honestly, between you and God, where is the focus of your life? Is it on your own personal comfort, your own rights, your agenda? Paul is urging us, don't live such small lives. Don't live with such small agendas. He's got something far, far bigger for you. 
So who in your life could benefit if you would just expand your vision? If you would just open up your eyes and see beyond yourself and look through eyes of love, eyes of eternity, eyes of expectancy and what God could do in somebody else's life, eyes of service and help and caring and love. Who could benefit? And if you would just think of one person in your life that you would love to see discover the life that God has given you in Christ and start looking at them in a different way and start treating them in a different way and just pray that God would give you those opportunities now maybe you're here this morning because somebody invited you and I want you to know the reason they invited you is because they love you They see in you eternal value and worth. Maybe you can't see it in yourself, but they see it in you, and so does God. And it's why Christ came and gave his life for you. So today, if God's speaking to your heart about living a bigger vision life, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. God's been speaking to you and talking to you about this. You can respond to him in a simple prayer of faith that just simply says, Lord, I've been living for myself and I've been doing things my own way and I've got my faults and I've made my mistakes and that sin has gotten in the way and I need your forgiveness and I need the life that you have for me. I need a bigger vision because of what you did for me dying on the cross I want to receive that life you have for me and in that simple prayer God will begin to open up your eyes to a bigger vision and a bigger life and if God's been speaking to your heart about that and I don't know because he does things without telling me sometimes (laughs) but if he's been speaking to your heart about this and you want to respond in faith and take maybe that very first step for the very first time Would you just look up and catch my eye? Everybody else has their eyes closed, so you don't have to worry about anybody seeing you. But if you want to take that step of faith this morning, just look up, catch my eye, and keep looking until I see you and acknowledge you. All right. Okay, good. Cool. Yeah. 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 Make this your prayers. Lord, thank you for loving me and seeing in me what I couldn't even see in myself. Thank you for seeing past my faults and my sin and loving me anyway. Thank you for giving your life so sacrificially so that I could find a new life in you. I admit my faults. I admit my sin. I admit my weaknesses. And I ask for your forgiveness. And I pray that you would put your life now in me and let me live with that grander vision. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California. 